want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Uh, before we get into this week's episode, uh, we're going to take the opportunity to shout out one of our friends and friends of the podcast, Shane Hood. Uh, Shane joined us on episode 14 of the podcast to discuss his journey and some of the programs that he runs, but uh, he asked if we could um, shout out his website because he's recently redone it and it mm. looks amazing, mm. um, which is www.woundsandwisdom.life. I love that it's not a normal website, but Wounds and Wisdom is an online personal development hub for people experiencing disadvantage with a lived experience lens. They offer a large range of free tools and resources to engage with and relate to um, for young people and adults. Uh, I've checked out a few of the videos and they're really, really good as well. Yeah, awesome. Their whole aim is to help others reclaim and rewrite the challenging stories that keep them trapped and replace them with powerful narratives. They've recently launched a a one-to-one coaching service and preventative programs for schools um, for young people and for adults. Yeah, and their whole motto, whole motto, sorry, is I sit with you in the challenge and I stand with you in strength. So like I said, uh, feel free to check them out, www.woundsandwisdom.life. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I am Josh. And I'm Nat. And this week we are joined by Marinda. Hey, guys, I'm Marinda. I am a manager in the homelessness and housing sector and I've got a little bit of experience with youth work and in the family violence space. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. So we start off every episode with five questions. Why are you laughing at me? Because we're just like saying the same words as each other. (laughs) We're just like a mimicking parrot of each other now. Um, So the first one was, is, sorry, what was your first ever job? My first job, I, uh, I was pretty keen to get out there in the workforce. I had um, very independent women in my life, my mom and my nan. And um, so I think, yeah, the second I turned, you know, not even 15, I was out there with a resume. I had a little letter written from my, um, from my auntie and I was handing it out. And I grew up in a really small town and so we just had one main street and I went out and I was so nervous, but I just remember giving it to every single shop owner and like walking in. And so I ended up getting a job at this little place called Wheel and Loom and they made their own mohair mug, uh, mohair rugs, um, but they didn't sell enough. So they ended up just kind of like making this shop all sorts of different things. So ah. they 
ended up getting a whole bunch of out-of-date lollies and they used to sell that to kids. <laughs> so they used to always be out the front and um, it was my shift on a Saturday and I think I used to open and close and I'd get five bucks an hour, I think. So Jesus. Pocket my little $40 on a Saturday and that was my first gig. Yeah, right. Yep. Nice. I was going to say, I can't imagine that a small country town mm. would sell like a plethora of rugs, <laughs> but that yeah, makes yeah. sense. But the expired lollies, I love that. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I think they had because they had llamas or I can't remember what the fur was. Right. But they it's sort of maybe it was a hobby that they turned shopfront mm. and then realised it's not making much money, so mm. got to do something else. Yeah. But yeah. Do on lollies to kids. Yeah, that worked. <laughs> um, all right. If you were a WWE wrestler, what would your walkout song be? Ah. Uh, I'm a lover, not a fighter, <laughs> but if I'm going to go in and throw chairs and stuff, <laughs> I think it's got to be Fatboy Slim oh. and it's got to be right here, right now. That's yes. good. That's a good but one. But I reckon because it's 2020, you got to throw in like the Greta Thornburg remix. Have you heard that? No. It's good. Is it? It's got her speech oh. and it's pretty amazing. I went to the art centre, The sorry, the City Meyer and saw Fat Boy Slim play it. It must have been in Jan because it was around when the bushfires were happening. Mm. Okay. And it was just powerful. He's just old school. Mm. I, can't, I can't even remember how old he is now. Oh. He's still kicking it. And yeah. he's got like, yeah, he's just amazing. That's so pretty cool. Gave me shivers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. That's really cool. So, yeah. I love that someone said um, Fat Boy Slim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He, I, I, he did an isolation mix in his kitchen with yeah. his daughter. Did yeah. you see? It's like super regular. <laughs> like he's just in his kitchen and there's like stuff on the table. And I was like, oh, wow. That, that was pretty so cool, good. eh? How funny. that I was reading something today and it was referencing that like the generation of today. Mm. Someone had commented on a meme and it was of Snoop. And, um, oh, what's her name? Went to prison. Um She's a, she does a cooking oh, show now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Stuart. Martha, Martha Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was a picture of her and Martha Stewart. And so, like, someone from, like, a younger generation had been, like, this guy trying to act cool, blah, blah, blah. Really, he just bakes cook- cookies on TV. And someone was, like, this, these kids of today don't know, like, that, like, Snoop was on trial for murder or, like, and yeah. went through, like, all the rappers that now they'd have no idea that they're just sort of old now. Yeah. Mm. I do yeah. wonder how old Fat Boy Slim is. Yeah. Oh, he'd be 50s, I reckon. God, yeah. I reckon yeah. maybe 60s. Yeah, yeah really? Yeah. 60s, oh, wow. right? He'd be pushing it. Probably. Yeah, and now Snoop's on menu log ads. And that's yeah. Daddy, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. He's actually yeah. got a um, pretty cool TV show on, I think it's Stan on Netflix, where he sort of funds like a league for vulnerable sort oh, yeah. of low socioeconomic kids. Oh, it's actually yeah. really cool. Football, you see? Football league, Football, yeah. 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 You see uh, a pretty different side to him, which is that's good. Not yeah, the cool. Snoop I grew up no. knowing or listening to. That's Do you know for Snoop sure. Dogg's are a Christmas album? Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, he does. And it's all like. Twas the night before Christmas, yeah. shizzle my nizzle. Yeah, it's all shizzle my nizzle, <laughs> yeah. jingle bells. Like, yeah. It's really funny. It's terrible, but it's I'm so really funny. listen to it later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, funny. Check it out. Uh, the next one is if you could. You know, so if you had to change careers, what would you do? Um, I think it's sort of changed over the years. Like I would have said teaching probably a few years ago because my dad was a math science teacher. Um, everything I've done sort of has a little bit of teaching in it. Mm. Like, you know, um, gosh, went and 
like taught English in South Korea and yeah, so cool. then went on summer camp with Josh and went at um, oh, like teaching ceramics and then worked as a teaching assistant. Mm. But I don't know, now I'm sort of thinking like everyone's got their own like ISO hobbies. Mm. Mm. And for me, I've been really surprised. Mine's been gardening <gasps> nice. and it's just been really relaxing and really chill. And it's just kind of been really good at, you know, a good way to sort of be mindful as well. Mm. And so, you know, during the pandemic, I got my friend Scotty to build me some planter boxes with wheels. Oh, cool. Then and you I can thought, move them. Yeah, exactly. Because I've just got an apartment with like, it's a little courtyard and I'm like, I can't sit still. I'm always traveling or I'm always doing something. So I thought if I get them on wheels, I can move them around. Yeah. And now I'm just like growing tomatoes. I'm just winging it and seeing what happens. But it's awesome. So maybe do horticulture, something like that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. a cool idea. I think that's been something really nice about the isolation. Mm. Well, I, everyone says isolation. No one was really truly isolated, I suppose. But the... Uh, yeah. The pandemic or the time at home is that, yeah, people were able to find new things or rekindle, I suppose, old things as well. So, yeah, yeah it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And for me, it sort of fits nicely. Like, I'm really into, like, zero waste movement and, mm. you know, making my own stuff. So, I think, yeah, making my own veggies and stuff is just a bit a part of that. Mm. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us about a time at work that you've made a mistake and what have you learned from it? I don't make mistakes. Yeah, classic answer. <laughs> <No>. Good job. <laughs> no, look, I think re- mistakes are really important. I think they're really great for growth. They make you really uncomfortable. You have to sit and think about things a bit. So for me, I just keep thinking about like, um, so I'm in middle management now and I've been in this role for about two years and I've actually been in the workplace I'm at at the moment. I've been there for 12 years now, I think. Oh, wow. So sort of on and off. And um, and so I'd actually seen five people in this role in 10 years. And so I went into it thinking, I'm, I want to change this. I want to do all this. I'm going to fix this up. And I knew that the place was a bit uncomfy with change. But I thought, that's okay. You know, I know everyone there. I'll be able to work with it. And... Um, and so the first thing, I had so many ideas. And the first thing I did, which I thought was really simple, no big deal, was just change everyone's chairs to like ergonomic chairs. Okay. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought I was being really good. Like I was sending an email out, like trying to consult everyone, you know, what do you think? But I got no feedback. So I was like, well, I'll just buy these chairs. Not a big deal. Biggest deal ever. <laughs> and I learned so much from that. And so much about people and just, mm. you, you know, especially because, you know, we're working quite an intense environment and it's, you know, vicarious trauma is a bit of a risk. So if you change anything to do with people's day-to-day things, <laughs> like don't mess with their stuff. Mm. I had people like, you know, aggressively trying to find their old chairs <laughs> and put them back in the room. That was my, I'm sure I had that stain. That was my one there. Yeah. Mine's a broken arm. Yeah. We've got one upstairs yeah. that like you lean too far back, the whole thing goes, yeah. you almost like break your back in it. Oh, that's so funny. So I, I learned from that and now I've got a very, like I, I do love consulting, like I love engaging <laughs> everyone in the process, but there's probably about 30 people 
And so now I do much more informal. I don't do the email thing as much and I'll hang out at people's doorways and just say, oh, I'll think about this. What do you guys reckon? Mm. And it's just such an easier process, I think. Just having those informal chats, you can, yeah. So, but yes, I've definitely learned from that. It's interesting. Mm. <laughs> Which is interesting because it's, like you said, it's quite a simple sort of mm. change. Ergonomic chairs are so fucking expensive yeah. as well. <laughs> I learned that the hard yeah. way. But a really interesting lesson to learn that, People deal with change in very different ways. Yeah. Um, so something like for me, if someone changed my chair for a new chair, I wouldn't give a shit. I'd be really excited actually because <laughs> yeah, yeah. mine's haggard. But, yeah, for some people that would be a, like a, a big sort of. Um, Definitely. I'm yeah. trying to think of the word, but it's not coming to mind. It's okay. Shift well, maybe? No, it's not a word. Anyway. Well, it's, yeah, and I guess I've, you know, use that for a metaphor for any kind of change and mm. I'm really, I'm quite comfortable with change. As long as you're, you know, you're growing and you're moving forward and you're adapting, it's fine. But, um, yeah, there's not everyone likes change. Mm. So, yeah, you have to be really careful with it. Mm. But I think that's something that I've seen this year as well is I'm just, like, blown away. Like, the team that I'm working with, it's just amazing how much they have adapted to change. Mm. And, like, we pivot, right? So that's kind of the word of the year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's been quite impressive. We've gone from a team that can't, you can't change their chair to, like, <laughs> to, to a virtual world. Yeah, we've flipped everything. So, yeah, it's Interesting change for them. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Lucky they got their new chairs so they could take them home right. in their offices at home. <laughs> I think they got their own chairs. <laughs> Fair enough. The last one is, last question is, what are your self-care strategies and do you think you implement them well? Yeah, I think uh, there's. I think it's lots of different things. There's not just one thing that I do at the moment. I'm sort of focusing on fitness. I think because I was super excited for. I can't believe I'm saying that I'm. Yeah, I was excited for the gyms <laughs> to go back, but I actually was. So yeah, I'm like, I found this personal trainer who used to be a ninja warrior on the TV show. So she's training me at the moment. So I've got her twice a week. She's she'll probably talk me into all sorts. Mm. And I've got You'll be on Ninja Warrior yeah. before you know it. <laughs> Is she one of the famous ones? She's I'm gonna have to watch it because I've only seen I think she tried to I don't think she got that far. Okay. But she's a little pocket rocket. Yeah, cool. So and um yeah, so I got that and like Pilates and yoga and stuff I love. And then I've been like just this year, getting right into audiobooks. I think mm. because you get to hear the authors, you know, read their own stories, which mm. has been really awesome. So, like the latest ones, I mean, Bruce Pascoe, Dark Emu, and there's Good been, book. yeah, great book. Mm. And um, there's another one I was reading at the moment. Oh, Sarah Wilson. It's like really timely and it's um, called This One Wild and Precious Life. And it's just about Black Lives Matter and COVID and bushfires and just like what do we do with this feeling right now? Mm. It's like we know things are shifting, but how do we actually, um, you know, make a positive change? Yeah. So, yeah, it's really nice to listen to that sort of stuff and I'll listen to it in the car on the way home or, you know, if I'm doing my gardening. Yeah. (laughs) So just that kind of stuff. And then obviously, you know, catching up with mates is so important. It's so cool to do. Mm. normal things at the moment yeah um but then I've, yeah 
I've got a really bad habit with Audible. Yeah. Because I do like the monthly subscription. Yep. And I, I get my books. But then there's something about having to have the book as well. So I end up buying the book twice so I can have it in hard copy and then listen to it. Half of them I haven't even read. Their covers have never been opened. But, like, I have to have the copy book. That's so good. There's something funny about uh, that they haven't really lost their value, the idea of books. Yeah. Like, I know Borders is closed and, you know, but, like, we still have lots of bookstores. People still buying books all the time. People still reading We've reverted mm. to a lot of digital mm. things and sure Audible's there and uh, Kindles and things, but there is still something for a lot of people that they love the idea of feeling the book, holding the book, the smell of it, buying mm. it, the flicking the pages, like there's that yeah. um, I'm, tactile, I'm tactile yeah. part to it. But, you know, I think records, we've kept it. Yeah. Mm. CDs have gone. DVDs mm. are pretty much gone. VHS definitely gone. Mm. But like there's a lot of these things that we um, – that we've moved away from it and there's some things that have st- sort of stood the test of time and books yeah. tend to be one of them which is mm. pretty cool yeah and i do agree with you i've got a few boxes of books in our storage area at home that they're, they're not on display or anything but i'm like i just can't get rid of them they're just they're just too cool like yeah mm. yeah my actual like my actual besides purchasing books twice on like audible and, and mm. whatever my actual the thing i really like to do with books is to go to an op shop Oh, yeah. And get books from there. One, because oh, it's like, sustainable. Yeah. But also, I, it's, yeah, I'm a bit woohoo. I like doing stuff like that. But I like when you get a book and it has handwritten notes in it oh, or yeah. like things in it. I don't know. I just feel like they tell us, they've lived the whole little life. And sometimes they're too expensive. Yeah. Like, books not to are devalue, pretty expensive. Not to devalue the author's time or the story, but mm. like $40 for a book, like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like if you could buy, like I hunted for. Paul Kelly's uh, How to Make Gravy because mm. I didn't want to pay for it. Yeah, and then I got it, and it's honestly like it's, <laughs> it's like huge. so big. It's worth the forty it's bucks, so mate. Big, but, but I found it though. I think I paid like nine dollars for it. Have you finished it? No, because I was doing this twelve day challenge where I was gonna where I was reading, and I did. But so I started reading that book again. Mm. Um, but Des bought me um, Matthew McConaughey's book a yeah, few days nice. into the challenge, so I've just been reading that. But that won't last long, and then I'll. Go back to Paul back Kelly's to gravy, one. but it's quite difficult to read. Obviously, for, I think for Paul Kelly to write all the songs he does and be so kind of creative, he's he also writes his story in in a bit of a whimsical way. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit it's you kind of got to really be slow and, and take in the information. Mm. Um, but yeah, super interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously, yeah. So far, Paul Kelly's course. story, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, the Matthew McConaughey one's next on my list. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool. It's been good so far. I really like it. Same with him, like that whimsical kind of nature of his and the way he talks. Mm. You just read it like that. Like it would be so funny if he um, if he did an audio version and read it himself. Yeah, yeah it would be really cool because it's, you know, all right, all right, all right. It literally <laughs> took all of the strength in me not to just be like, all right, all right. You know, it's actually, so I started laughing. He, he made that up on the spot. He yeah. talks about it. Yeah, he talks about yeah. it. And he's like practiced all these different things. And essentially it was just like he pulled up in the car. I haven't even seen the movie. And he's like, I pulled up in the car and I was like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. Like, and that's just because it just happened. He talked so about good. it in an interview somewhere. Okay. I saw it. Um, no, I can't remember where it was. It's all right. It was good. good. He's um, funny. Yeah, I really like him just as super, a person. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's super funny. Mm. We're here to talk about Marinda, though. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. We Not do this. Books. Um, <laughs> we digress. I feel like there's a few different starting points that we could go at, but mm. I think it's kind of cool. We It's not often that we have, like, a 
we've had a family member come on and some friends and stuff, but mm. not as often. But we are friends outside of the podcast, which is really cool. Yeah. And our meeting was, um, I guess, kind of unusual. Yeah. Mm. So we met on summer camp yeah. in Pennsylvania. Homesdale, <laughs> Pennsylvania in America. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, it was what did we? It was 2012. I think you're right. Yeah, mm. 2012. Yeah. Yeah. And I had oh, it'd be interesting. I don't think I've asked you why mm. you ended up going in the first place, but I went because I was really broke at the time, and I wanted to travel and I had no money. And I was like, how? Do, what do I do where I can still travel but I don't have any money? I went to summer camp. Mm. They pay you. A tiny little amount yeah. and you can get by and they give you accommodation they give you food and yeah can so, you like leave not like no sorry i've worded that so wrong but like because you're saying you know how can i travel but get paid at the same time mm. do you have like when you're on summer camp i've never done it so i mm. don't know but do you, do you have days like you know like your weekend like when we're at work where you can go and do things in pennsylvania or or do you have yeah, to just yeah. be on camp the whole time yeah yeah so I explain this to people have asked like these questions probably to you as well, Marinda, mm. so many times. I explain it like this. There's like a, over a thousand camps in America and they're all slightly different. Mm. But for our one, we had one day off and one night off a week. Right. Okay. So, and then they kind of scheduled, like you sort of get told, or you can kind of ask if you've got friends or like a girlfriend or a boyfriend in camp, or whatever, you try and match them up. But you kind of get told like your day off is on Wednesday and your night off is on Saturday. And it's like that for the whole summer. Yep. So you get you can get pretty close to your your day crew and yeah. your night crew. Um, yeah, and got lifelong friends out of it, really. Mm. Yeah. So um, our camp was quite funny because at the, when I I think I must have gone in, I think two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight was my first year. Did you go because you were you were broke and you wanted to travel though? Uh, no. Okay. I went. I so someone talked to. I think either visited our school or I heard about camp when I was in high school mm. and I was like, I'm going to go to camp like when I finish school for a year. I'm going to do one summer. Not to forget American summer is like June to September. So mm. I'm going to do one summer and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to go to uni mm. and then... And like, skip the Aussie winter, which... Yeah. Thank the Lord. Yes. That's right. But I ended up going six summers. So for the next seven years, because I missed one year and then went. So I went for four, stayed home for that one because I don't think I was going to go back. And then I decided to go back. I did one more. Okay. Um, I think was what it was. Yeah. I can see how easy it would be just to keep going back. Um, but yeah, I had a great time. Like I started off, um, I ended up, I started off as a ceramics teacher. Mm. And the only reason that happened was I think I put down that I was doing like one day a week I was just making tiles with this woman in like my little hometown. And so they're like, right, you're going to teach kids how to do pottery and ceramics. And I was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. I'll wing it. Um, but I think camp was really good for that. Like I'm quite introverted and camp was really good for just teaching me to let go and just wing things. Mm. And, you know, you could be as as prepared or unprepared as you want, but, you know, still have a good time. Yeah. So. It's such an amazing place. Like, oh, it was just amazing. Mm. Like, the, so the, the camp itself, and I, it's, I don't know, did you find this? I always have to go summit camp because yeah. it was called summit. Mm. But people are like, oh, yeah, summer camp. I'm like, no, 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 sorry. Summit, mm. not summer. 
like summer. So that was always funny. So the place was called Summit Camp. Yeah. But it was a camp for kids with uh, autism, Asperger's, ADD, ADHD, um, Tourette's. There was a few sort of yeah. a real mix of, of kids. Um, and it was a Jewish-based camp. So you didn't have to be Jewish to work there or go there. But typically the the cohort of kids were Jewish background. And it was oh, they're probably about eight years old mm. all the way up to... 18 and there was a few that kind of snuck in at like 19 and 20 yeah. because of their um like presentation sort of allowed them to mm. to easily function within the camp at that at, at like 18 or nine, at 19 or 20 years old mm. yeah. but just so cool like i think the things that you could do with the with the kids and um there was a range of activities like the whole mm. thing is on a side of a hill that leads down like a, your stereotypical summer camp movie you know like mm-hmm. with the twins movie mm-hmm. with old mate in it like with Lindsay the big Lohan. lake and the dock that goes off into the water and you're swimming in the in the in the lake and yeah. it's it's all of that it's got all of that mm. yeah um it was amazing and we had um because oh, we had those triangle little huts yeah so there was the art Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And then there was the, the ceramics A-frames. one. The A-frames, that's right. Yeah. And there was, yeah, the art one, the ceramics one, and the, I think it was woodwork, yeah. guys. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we got really close. But did you ever see bears there? Uh, I did, so kind of. So they, mm-hmm. there was a bear trap near the bin. Yeah. Near, like as in a huge, big old dumpster bin. And then the, they set a trap there because they would uh, – Get into if the, the bin. They'd get into the bin, but the bear would go there and then the ranger would come and then drive the bear off into the forest and then let him go. Yeah. But on this one occasion, I don't remember it was the I don't know if it was the year that you were there. Yeah. On this one occasion though, the guy shot the bear with a tranquilizer and then pulled the bear out onto the oval. So it was <laughs> yes. like Were you there? Was yeah. it the summer you I were think there? That yeah. was the same year. I didn't, they'd never done it before. Yeah. Like ever any time I'd been there, they'd never done it. But this literally this big fucking brown bear was just on the floor, like tranquilized in front of us and all these kids yeah. right there in front of you. Yeah. You could touch it. The boys did because I had to help him drag the bloody thing back in. It's so heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But I never saw one live wandering around, but they would. You're right. Yeah. Did yeah. you when you yeah. were there? Wow. We were down in the A-frames and we were trying to finish. We did this big mosaic with the kids. Um, oh, nice. At, at Summit Camp Mosaic and everyone did a tile and it ended up, I think it's still there. <laughs> But we were doing that and so we were staying back late in the A-frames trying to get everything out of the kiln and there's like we hear all this noise out the front and, we're like, and we could see it through the window. We're like, oh, my gosh, it's a freaking brown bear. And we were calling up like up the hill to try and get people to come down. And lucky like we had a back exit to the A-frames and we just bolted. But I couldn't believe it. It was right there. Yeah. I was like it could have got in easily. But, yeah. That was crazy. It was, yeah, and something so different from what you can experience in Australia, mm. like a, the idea of a bear. And they would warn you at the start, like they'd go through a whole orientation before the kids got there mm. for two weeks and it covered off bears and, you know, all of their medical procedures and their law <laughs> procedures and all this sort of stuff, which was obviously important. Yeah. But, yeah, they cover off the whole... You were obviously listening. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't the one running away from the bear. <laughs> but, yeah, they cover it off because people would go jogging in the morning and they're like... Yeah. Look out for bears, and you're just like, look out for bears. Like, <laughs> you know, we don't have anything comparable. Yeah, mm, not, not at all. Really. Just drop bears, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> drop bears and dingoes and still babies. Yeah, you know? yeah. like that's it. So it was, yeah, it was super weird. I'd rather be chased by a dingo than a bear. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was massive. 
Yeah, Massive that was weird. Yeah. They are so huge. Like you see them in movies mm-hmm. and it doesn't depict their size well enough, I don't think. No. No. Well, Joe Rogan always calls it when you Disneyify things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Mm. Um, but yeah, so and then we, yeah, so you didn't camp um, and you, because yeah. you started as a ceramics teacher. Yep. And then I remember that, yeah, one of the, so I worked on, which was the support and integration team, which was a, a team that, before people kind of supported campers and staff mm. and we ran programs and SRT. but then also did like a kind of like a response thing. I was going to say, is it the SIT team? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it was SIT. SIT, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we would, you know, kind of like, I guess, not too dramatically, but kind of respond to any mm. sort of like issues because the kids, you know, like they would, I think back then, in my uneducated way, you know, the term was when they would kick off. Yeah. <laughs> the kids would kick off, let's say. <laughs> but, you know, get um, – it's actually funny when you look back at the way that we did things and now yeah. having learnt so much more yep. that it probably wasn't always the best done. But um, anyway, essentially supporting campers and staff. And, mm. and things How many kids would you have? Like what, On what, camp? Yeah. Oh, Three. Yeah, it's 300, like, 400? Yeah, yeah. Maybe like oh, 300 my God, kids. I didn't think it was yeah. that big. 300 kids, like 100 staff, maybe more. <gasps> yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm literally thinking it's like a team of five of you. Oh, no. You're sitting up having dinner. No, not answering no, no. Rinder's calls because no, it's so a like, bear. And nah. Josh and I and um, who else was there? Simon. Okay, yeah, Simon yeah. that year. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and Abby. Oh, no, Abby was, um, yeah. Jeff would have been then. Yeah. No, no, it was Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Jordan. Yeah. But we would have walkie-talkies and we'd have quite a few kids that would try and run away um, mm. from camp because they're there for such a long time. Yeah. It's like four months, <gasps> three months. Yeah. Uh, there was three? two sessions of four weeks each. Yeah. And then there was like a two week end mm. session or it's changed like that. But if the kid the, and the huge. parents would mm. send them for the whole one, the whole time. So sometimes the kids were there for like yeah, eight to 10 weeks. Really right. long. And you're there for, yeah, you're there for a long time. That's why it's kind of like worthwhile in terms of like what yeah. Marinda's saying mm. to get away. Yeah. You know that you can go there and not really spend any money unless it's your day or your night off. Yeah. And it's American prices, so stuff's like super cheap. Yeah. Um, and you get and a kind little, of be, you get enough at the end so you can sort of travel for a couple of months. Yeah. So. Yeah, nice. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, the kids would run off, hey. Yeah, they'd run off. And we had a lot of self-harm too. Mm. I think... Yeah, it is. It's really interesting what you say, like just what we've learned since. And mm. I think, you know, being young and going to going working on summer camp, I think, I don't know how prepared we were for the stuff that we saw sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was lots of kids trying to run away. So we just, you guys were probably, you were probably the fastest runner. I'm trying to think who ran. <laughs> And we just try and catch him. <laughs> well, there was a lot of reverse psychology. And then you yeah. get to the point you're like, I'm not going any further. And the kids are like, why? There's the bears down there. <laughs> I'm not going. And you start walking back. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, well, the, like, look where we are and how dark it is. And the bears like the dark. And it's, you know, it's getting suns out. I'm not going. I'm going back, actually. Yeah. So I'll just see you back there. And they're like, well, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> come on, come come on. Away from me. Wait for me. So, yeah. Or the poison ivy. That was another good one. Yeah. Because there's like, true, there truly was poison ivy. You know, this bush in the thing and you're always wearing shorts and stuff because it was warm and the kids would start running off and are like, I'm not going in there. Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, poison ivy, it'll, you know, yeah. give you a rash and stuff. And they're like, oh, I don't want to get that. And they come back. And, but it happened a lot. It did. <laughs> and but I, I was really interested by I'd never sort of been in a situation where I had that, I was surrounded by that many people that were on the spectrum in some way. Yeah. Mm. So I don't know about you, but I found it really fascinating Um 
where you've got kids that were just absolute experts at things and it was unbelievable. We had one kid who could tell you anything about any American president you would ever ask. Wow. There's someone else that was like obsessed with trains mm-hmm. and there was I just found that amazing. It was such good conversations. So it was always interesting with like oh what I wonder what that kid's um uh interest was. Yeah. 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 There was one obsessed with the Beatles. Yes. There was one and there was one that was obsessed with locks and keys. Yeah. Like knew a lot about locks and keys and they've all got different types and names. Um because there are lots of um what are the ones where you t- turn the dial, you know, like mm. a... Oh, like a safe. Yeah, like a safe. But you have a... There's a padlock instead. Oh, yeah, like mm. your locker combo. Exactly. I still remember yeah. my locker combo from high school. Go on. Gee. Talk about... Yeah, 22635. Talk about useless <laughs> information that I've retained. I can't even remember my PIN number half the time. I was going to say, have you just given that. out your PIN number? <laughs> no, no. My locker combo, which will be somewhere. That's so funny. 22635. But yeah, this kid was obsessed with locks and keys uh, cool. that the camp gave him a list of all of them because if he didn't know, he was anxious and he was, oh. you know, so... It was yeah. be a problem and that his dad would come and collect him partway through summer because they would go to the lock and key convention and then he'd bring him back to camp yeah that's so if that sweet. kid's not a locksmith now then yeah fuck i don't know what we were doing there imagine how good he would be at his job yeah, yeah. right and that that's yeah. kind of you know that um what i later learned was sort of like that strengths-based practice of mm. you know identifying things you know they're like the um they talked about it in the Rick Lavoie. Do you remember the Rick Lavoie video? Yeah. So they show this amazing um, video at the start of camp. And the main thing is that it, it talks about poker chips. Mm. So I love this analogy. I've used this a few times. And people get yeah. like people get obsessed with this sort of concept and people are getting like tattoos of poker chips at camp and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, there's some dodgy tattoo shops in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, let me tell you. Oh. I just want to go to Pennsylvania. Oh. Tattoo so Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania. So it's a massive state. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. where we were was like... I just think of um, Dracula. That's Transylvania. Oh, is it? Yeah. (laughs) People do that all the time, though. People do it all the time. (laughs) This is why I shouldn't comment on anything geographical. I have the worst sense of direction. Oh, it happened a lot of times (laughs) to me. But, yeah, people get obsessed with the the poker chips idea. They get tattoos of it and... Like What's the idea of it though? So, what do you I, mean? so, the, so there's this psychologist, this American psychologist, super American mm. psychologist, Rick Lavoie. Um, check it out. I actually cut the DVD for the Poker Chips video and put it on YouTube against all copyright <gasps> and chucked it up there. And I think it lasted quite a long time. I can't believe you just disclosed that. They're I coming know, after you now. Come after me. The concept <laughs> is though, and this is a really cool kind of social work, youth work sort of theory, is that we've all got poker chips. Mm. Some of us have less than others and the person who's super confident has a lot of chips. So when it comes to the example that they use in the videos, like answering a, answering a question at school, mm. you know, um, if you've got or if a kid in the classroom has got heaps of poker chips, that they're willing to gamble a couple that they might get the answer wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you've got very few, mm. you're not going to take the risk. Mm. And so you don't put yourself out there, you don't try. And it's the responsibility, re- the responsibility of people in the community and um, friends, family, teachers, whoever, sports coaches, whoever it might be, we have a responsibility to children to give them as many poker chips as we can. Mm. So whether that's in the joke that he says is, you know, if you if the if you're getting on the bus, you know, the poker chips gonna give the bus driver will give you poker chips. Good morning, hey, I love your shirt, you look great. And as a parent, they talk about finding the island of competence, okay. which is essentially like what we call like um, strengths based, and then just build that. And it's a really funny analogy that they use. Is uh, they talk about the mum 
and the, and he goes, if the only thing that your kid is good at doing is using a Phillips head screwdriver, then every day before he comes home from school, you loosen every screw in the house. Mm. And then it's like super American. He's like, you loosen every screw in the house. And then when he comes home, you say, here you go, you know, go and do it, son. And he goes and does up all the screws and he gets heaps of poker chips because he's done a great job. And yeah. So, but you know, that was essentially the, the thing, but it kind of creates this atmosphere mm. in camp where everyone's just fucking lovely. Yeah. Like so nice all the time. Of course, there's going to be, you know, little issues. You get a hundred different people yes. in one space, but generally speaking, like it's just build people up, build mm. people up, and yeah. you end up getting like that. And then there's like things that the staff there were the they do the thank you notes. little thank you notes, and you yeah. can go drop them off to people. Um, but it was American, so it was thanking you, thanking ah, you. yes, yeah. <laughs> so it was just such a funny, it's just such a funny place. It taught me heaps, yeah, just about I don't know, a bit of everything, I reckon. Yeah, it was great. Mm. I think it got me out of my shell a bit too, and mm. like. You know, like I said, I'm I'm a big introvert, so I sort of shy away from anything where I have to be on a stage or you know yeah. anything. But then it just kind of I mean, I remember this thing they got us doing, and I was just like, what am I doing? And it was we were blowing up balloons, putting them down our pants, at, like, and singing I like big butts on stage. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But it was awesome. Yeah. Like I just had so much fun. So. Yeah, I think it was great. Yeah. Mm. It is. It's such a funny place. And like the camp song was Reach for the Stars by S Club 7. Yeah. Nice. And it's yeah. got like very, a whole dance good. routine that goes along with it. There's a bunch of other songs too. But yeah. you go there for the first time and you're like watching all of these like pretty grown adults mm. with no kids around because you learn the camps dance and stuff before the kids even arrive. Mm. Just yeah. doing this Reach for the Stars dance and you're like, where am I? Like yeah. what is going on? Mm. But not long later, it's like, you're doing it too. And, you know, yeah. it means so much. And, yeah, it's funny. It's funny how, like, you say that, actually, because I remember being really resistant to it at the start. 100%. I was like, it was almost like this is too American. Yeah. Like, just the cheese ball kindness. And yeah, I was like, that's not me. I don't know if I can do this. And you just soften. It doesn't take long at all. Mm. And you're just like, yep, I'm in it. I'm yeah. dancing. And it's great, like, since it's been really funny when you do catch up with camp people and they, if they get an opportunity to dance to that song, they will. Yeah. Like, it does not matter where we are. It's hilarious. Yeah. I need to see this routine. Oh. The, so we, when I met my wife, the first time we went out, like, so we met online. We met on uh, Oasis, just before mm -hmm. Tinder. And we caught up once for drinks to sort of make sure, like, probably more that I wasn't, like, a, a psycho. weirdo. Yeah. Psycho. Uh, and then the next time we were out with a bunch of people from camp and I was like, we're in town. If you want to come past for a drink, uh, like this is where we are. And she brought her friend and she came and we did the Reach for the Stars dance and I did it <laughs> to the fullest of my potential. You would have. I have all faith that you would have. then not even probably girlfriend of two dates. <laughs> well, she married you after that. So yeah, so you must after. have done real fucking See. well. <laughs> But it gives you that it's ability that to just be like, oh, fuck it. Like, let's yeah. do it, you know? Yeah. yeah so funny. How Definitely. nice that you've both taken that away from camp, though. It's mm. not necessarily a story of a young person or, um, you know, a participant from camp that's talked about these wonderful things that they've learned because that's what they're there for. They're there for camp. Yeah. The idea that you were both there as staff but still took something away from that or learned something about yourself or was able to implement something is awesome. I think yeah. that's always – that programs that, that – 
let allow that opportunity for not only the young people to benefit but staff to benefit I think we're always going to flourish because you've got like a mutually beneficial program you know everybody's learning from each other it's Mm. like a dual track sort of yeah opportunity yeah Mm. and I think it probably didn't I doubt that they even set out for that to be the case but the history of the camp is so great and some of the people that contributed to the camp over time is so great that it just became its own thing yeah you know to the point where the slang uh, not the slang sorry the slogan was the magic on the hill Mm. was because you did feel like that you did feel like there was this magic that came over you and it didn't really matter kind of who you were where you sort of stood in the world that when you were in that place Mm. there was just this a bit culty really but in a really good way Mm. Mm. yeah everything's a cult if you look into it deep enough probably (laughs) just kidding anyway so there you go but yeah super cool and yeah it's i just had such a cool little sort of loop for you and I to sort of catch up here and here we yeah. are. So with Nat too, of course. Yeah, I am, yeah. Thanks for not forgetting me. <laughs> um, so that's, I guess, uh, yeah, transition. So you, you mm. come home and you sort of ended up spending on, oh, no, because then you, you touched on that you taught English in South Korea. Yes. Was that after camp? No. Oh, okay. That was, I was 18. Oh, wow. Wow. So I was, I was pretty illegal teaching English. I probably shouldn't say that. But I was over there on a tourist visa. And mm. I had, there was a family friend who um, worked in a school and he said, come over, I'll get you a job and ended up teaching English. And I was the kindy art teacher. So At 18. Yeah. That's amazing. So that would have been yeah. like the year after you finished high school, I'm guessing. Yeah. Oh yep. my gosh. So that was my gap year, I suppose. Mm. And so, and also when this was in Seoul and when you're like, um, if you're Korean, your Canada's a year old when you're born. Hmm. So I was actually yeah. only teaching three-year-olds. So they were tiny. But um, I can't yeah. remember where I heard that before. But, yeah, yeah, so you're born and you're one. Yeah, because they see the time in your mum's tummy. It's yeah. Like, that's your first That's year. quite sensible. It is, isn't it? Which is, makes sense. I loved it because I that used to, you know, when you were when you were younger and things that you thought were um, probably going to be a big bigger deal in your adult life than mm. what they've actually become. Like one of my biggest fears was quicksand. I don't think I've ever fucking encountered quicksand in my life. But I remember as a kid being like, oh, I've got to remember. What are the steps? What are yeah. the steps? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's just something that's ingrained in me. But something else that I always could never comprehend was, mm. well, you are alive when you're in like your mum's tummy. So why aren't you? Mm that age why do you start yeah. again it was something i could never wrap my head around and then i remember someone telling me about that and i was like see i was onto something the koreans yeah. have it yeah, yeah just round it up it's like, yeah. yeah that's about a year yeah, yeah. i was yeah. gonna say because i mean if you want to go technical should be at the three month mark yeah. and blah 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 but <laughs> yeah that made that's cool so yeah so they were three years three. old three and i still remember those kids and i i remember i think that's why i've always sort of been drawn to kids in the too hard basket or Mm. you know and that's why like the work that I do now like I'm still working in homelessness and people are like why would you want to work in homelessness that's rough but I kind of like this work and even back then there was this kid Gi Moon and he was this little three-year-old and he had like this really round face like the moon and he used to crack it so he would just get tired and grumpy and we'd be singing the alphabet and he didn't want to do it and he'd just go under the table and at the start I didn't know what to do with him and then I love it when you sort of work things out with kids and mm. you, you figure out what works and for him 
I would just quietly like slip books under the table <laughs> and just pop picture books under there until he's like over his tantrum and then he'd come out and he's quite happy. But I just loved like that sort of work. And again, it was the same sort of, sort of thing, like had to sing in front of all the kids and um, all these little different things. And I actually taught up to 15 year old kids. So that was quite weird. I was only 18 and um, it was the first time I'd actually taught someone how to read as well. And there was this kid, um, Yonsung, and he was 15 and he, Again, he was one of those kids that people had sort of given up on. His mm. teacher had been like, I don't know what's wrong. He's just not a, he's not engaging, he's not interested at all. Mm. Like all he wants to do is play on his computer. And um, he's like, Miranda, it's your turn. Like you got it. And this is a one-on-one tutoring session. And so I sat down with him and, um, yeah, for a little while, like just like talking through he just didn't want to do anything. And so we would do puzzles on the computer and I'd set it up so that um, like eventually I had next to my screen, I set up the same puzzles and I just pretended I didn't know how to do it. And then he started telling, he's like, no, nah, like that's not right. And um, slowly started getting him to talk to me. And then I sort of realized he actually doesn't know a lot of English, but he'd been signed up and his parents, um, told us that he could speak more English than he could and that's why he wasn't talking with us so I just started him from scratch and we did phonics and you know taught him his alphabet and then he was like taking home books and he could read and I'm like that was the best feeling ever yeah so I think I was sort of hooked with you know working with two hard basket kids ever since Mm. I'm like that you just gotta yeah figure out what's their thing so yeah just a process of elimination right yeah Mm. But, um, yeah, I love that experience. Mm. It's good. You mentioned um, people say to you, why do you want to work in homelessness? That's right. Mm. I echo that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and purely from a perspective, well, I've never worked in housing, so I can't, housing or homelessness, so I can't really, it's a very uneducated or inexperienced response. But for me, one of the trickiest things, like the two craziest things that I ever have to do at work are mm. getting a young person identification. I hate doing that. It's yeah. like the hardest slog. Yep. And is when you've got a young person who's homeless yep. um, or in need of housing. It's a very um, convoluted, tricky sort of process. You have to jump through all these hoops and do all those things. And it's it's exhausting as yep. a worker trying to navigate that system. I'm sure there's probably different interactions and experiences mm. when you are in it. Um, but what is it do you, that you think you love about working with homelessness or within the housing sort of sector? Yeah, I think it's just passion and for me like when I when I did uni you know I did psychology at uni and we learned a lot about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of Mm. stuck with me and um even like I used to do youth work in Maryborough which at the time like small country town but it was one of the lowest socioeconomic like places in Australia Mm. and the kids were like leaving really young, they were unemployed, high teen pregnancy, they weren't staying in school. And I remember te- like talking to teachers there and I'm like, yeah, but their basic needs aren't being met. Like they've got a really crappy home environment. They're actually not getting breakfast. Like it's that food, shelter, water, 
clothing. Mm. That's the basic needs. And for me, I really strongly believe that everyone has a right to a home. So that's kind of why I've stuck with it. And Mm. it is really complex. It's such a difficult system to navigate. And I just feel for anyone coming in the doors and, you know, particularly at the moment, I think, um, you know, on top of everything, there's a pandemic and um, there's not a lot of options out there and it is really tough. And yeah, I think walking people through that and now my job's changed a bit. Now I support the frontline staff who do that work. But um, yeah, I'm just, maybe I'm just a strong social justice warrior. Hmm. Maybe that's it. (laughs) Could you, um, could you go through, Mm. so say for example, for whatever circumstance, however, whatever the circumstances that the person got there, they present to a crisis center or a housing housing service and Mm. essentially say, I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight and, and, I suppose, first of all, would it matter if they've had, any, had anywhere to sleep leading up to that or it's really you're dealing with the occasion that they're in front of you? I don't know if that yeah. question makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. I think um, it depends which end you're at. At the moment, unfortunately, the entire housing sector is really crisis-focused. Mm. So you've got this situation where there's everything's bottlenecked. So you've got... There's not enough social housing, mm. so, um, you know, office of housing properties or community housing. The wait lists are, I mean, there's some areas that just say it's an indefinite wait at the moment. Mm. Some say it's 17, 18 years. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because I've heard eight years. Yeah, so it depends which area. And then for young people, there might be like there's certain priority categories you can get in. Yeah. So if you've experienced family violence or if you're over 55 or, um, you know, you've got a family, you may be able to get in a bit quicker or you've got a disability. Yeah. Um, Which I think is good to put in perspective for just a second because I think one thing that I like to try and pull out of people is for people that are sort of starting in their field or learning. Yeah. At the moment, if you go on the um, Office of Public Housing list, yeah. you would be due for a house potentially in about eight. It's given if you don't have any yeah. special circumstances, you you could maybe be waiting on that list for eight years, but possibly mm-hmm. even up to sort of 17 years. Yep. So that's, I think, just to be super clear, like it's huge. I think sometimes, yeah. and it's completely understandable, mm. but people might think that, you know, you essentially you need to go to a, a house or to put your name on a list and, you know, maybe six months or a year later, like you probably end up with something. But yeah. the current set of circumstances is not that yeah. at all. No, it's um, not that easy. No. Not that, yeah. And so I suppose I, I think that the, the way I asked my previous question was really didn't make sense. But so what I'm wondering is if you could talk us through, mm. if someone presents home, um, homeless to, to any crisis service, yeah. what process would then they go through and what options would it look like for them? Probably um, without COVID because I, I suppose yeah. it's probably like what we're going to be dealing with again in the future yeah. is... But, yeah, because I know you've obviously got, I mean, I'll let you tell a story, but there's, mm. like, boarding houses and I know that some places give out swags and then there's also, yeah. you know, different. So what would that look like for someone presenting tonight at a or during the day today at a, at yeah. a, a crisis centre? Well, I think, like, I've worked in, um, like, IAP, so the frontline, um, the, um, yeah, initial assessment and planning teams at housing services. So I've worked in that role. And I've worked in a crisis service, so it's really just, you know, from a statewide perspective, 
dealing with the crisis that day. Um, so they're a little bit different, but in a crisis setting, it would be um, you are looking at the immediate needs. So you would sit down with someone. Um, it would be over the phone or in person if you could get to that place. Um, and you would be asked a whole bunch of questions. So you'd be asked questions on your income, um, your health and your mental health. A bit of your housing history so trying to figure out what's actually happened for you and all these questions are being asked because um, the workers are assessing vulnerability mm. and they're also checking that there's not immediate needs that haven't been addressed so say if there's you know we're asking about health issues it might come up that yeah I've got diabetes but actually I don't have my medication with me yeah. or you know then we would need to address that before we address the housing um, if there was mental health and, you know, came up that someone was actually having suicidal thoughts, then again, we need to go and make sure, you know, your mental health's okay before we could even look at putting you in a com on your own, like a motel or something like that. We just wouldn't want to do that to you. Um, so that's why the workers are asking a lot of those questions in the background. Um, and the housing history, they're trying to figure out, you know, what's what's broken down? Is it a relationship breakdown? Is it that you can't stay with mum and dad anymore? Is there family violence? Is there something that's gone wrong that you need a, you know, supportive network around you? Um, and there could even be, you know, child protection issues or things like that. Um, and then legal issues. So it's quite a comprehensive sort of assessment. Um, and then figuring out the workers trying to figure out what are the main needs at the moment, but trying to be, you know, focused on the person as well. And what do you want? Um, mm. Which is also, I think that's hard in homelessness because often, you know, if you're homeless, you want a home, you mm. want, you want a place usually on your own or, um, and it's so, it's really difficult at the moment having those conversations where sometimes what you want and what's out there are not necessarily the same. Mm. Um, so at the moment, if you walked into say a crisis center, say it's after hours and all the housing services are closed and you talk to someone, um, that's a 24 hour number or, um, they would be asking you a lot of those questions. They might actually even ask you to go to a police station and get your ID checked because you're not able to come into a service. Um, and then, you know, so that can be quite scary for young people too. Um, or they try and get you somewhere that's 24 hours or somewhere that's safe so you can talk. And then that could be up to an hour talking through those questions. And then if, you know, if it's that a motel, a com or youth refuge might be suitable, then they'd try and organise something for that night. And then they'd refer you to a housing service the next day. Um, and then there would be a referral sent and hopefully advocacy the next day if you needed it. Um, but then if you get to the housing service, um, I'm trying not to think of COVID because it's it's really hard. You've to been get. working in it for a while. It's yeah. an encompassing yeah. pandemic. And yeah, it is quite tricky to get an appointment, to get in. Um, but they would, you know, depending on your age, they'd be looking at rooming house. Um, if you're under 25, they might look at youth refuges and there's some really awesome ones. Um, so that's, a, I would say they're sort of really safe places, but rooming house, not so much. Um, mm. they're shared environments where people have lots of different complex life experiences. You've got 
you know, people that might be using or there might be people that are, you know, complex mental health stuff going on. Um, but, yeah, and often they're private rooming houses. And then you can talk about getting on a, um, you know, on a wait list for community housing or community housing is quicker than um, government office of housing properties. What's the um, difference? The office of housing is um, owned and or, uh, run by DHHS, mm-hmm. so by government. Community housing is um, the stock is often owned by small um, organisations, like there might be St Kilda Community Housing, Port Phillip. Um, right. There's a whole lot of different ones across Victoria, but they get um, they get funding from government, and they also get um, one of the differences is in the rent. So they would actually get right. your rent assistance. <clears throat> So if you um, are eligible for rent assistance, they would actually get that. So, and that's a way that the Commonwealth government actually subsidises community housing properties. Mm. Um, but they both have um, a percentage of your income is your rent. So mm. that's how they're affordable. So it could be thirty percent, it could be forty percent of your income. Right. Um, some up to fifty, I think. But it just depends on the organisation. Mm. Um, but yeah community housing they often used to be all rooming house sort of style so you shared facilities but now they're sort of changed so a lot of them are turning into one bedders or like bed sits so you've got um, your kitchen facilities and your bedroom in the one space like Mm. a studio so they've all sort of converted to that because we can't People can't share anymore. We don't like sharing. So Mm. just shared facilities just aren't really appropriate. Mm. Um, And, you know, the office housing properties, they might be one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, depending on your needs. Mm. Um, But, yeah, that's sort of the main difference, I think. It's really interesting because last year, was it last year? Was it this year? can't remember. They're all rolling into one. should probably tell you what I'm talking about. Yeah. (laughs) The TV show. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Filthy rich and homeless. Filthy rich and homeless. Yeah. Um, which we loved, but I can't remember. There was a a doctor, um, who like mm. in one of Dr. them. Doctor Andrew Rochford. There you go. Yeah. Just like loses his shit, and he's yeah. like, um, which is which is awesome. Sorry to backtrack from that because I think there's a lot of misconception around people who are homeless, mm-hmm. um, or who people who are experiencing homeless, and I've definitely been a part of conversations with you know, comments being made like, oh, just get a fucking job or, mm. you know, there's services that can help you. They just want, don't want the help or, you know, yeah. there's, there's just that negative um, sort of wider community perception, I guess, um, mm. for uh, well, surrounding homelessness. But I think then the TV show that, um, yeah, Filthy Rich and Homeless and it was really interesting for the people that they had on there, I think it was like six of them or whatever, at the start they were sort of like, yeah, cool, like we're going to go and live on the streets for a week and mm. we're yeah. like a bit amped up about it, I guess, to be honest, and excited for the experiment but, you know, curious, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then there was just this moment where he'd been rejected by a couple of places and he's standing there with his trolley in the freezing cold and it's raining and he was like, this is so fucked up. Like how do we expect people to live lives when this is this is how they fucking live? Like mm. people need to experience this to know how. Like he's like, I'm so low. Like I hate myself right now. And he went on this spill and it was like watching him have the realisation of, well, of course, that you can't meet, you know, society's like 
personal KPIs of what you should be achieving yeah. when, like what you said, Maslow, your your hierarchy of needs aren't being met in any way, shape or form. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of us sort of, um, well, a lot of the broader community, what they see as people experiencing homeless is people begging on the street. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's where the explanation just stops for them when really there's a lot of other intrinsic things that go on mm. or the impact that that people actually can't get a leg up like it's it's almost it's really hard for them to break out of of yeah. homelessness and to return to a normal lifestyle because you know a lot of the t- for someone that's been sleeping rough or on the streets for you know five years mm-hmm. for them to conceptualize something like independent living skills in a house yeah would just be such a feat within itself absolutely and like I think that's really interesting what you say about, you know, most people just see that street homelessness and that's that's what it is. Mm. But it's only actually 6%. I think yeah. it's about 6% of the home, what we would call homeless is street homelessness. Mm. So it's kind of just that little top of the iceberg and the rest is couch surfing and unsafe housing and unstable sort of situations or sleeping in your car and it's stuff that we don't see. Mm. And even, you know, in a crisis context, when you're looking at, um, you know, crisis centres and things like that, I know in Victoria there's, I think family violence is actually accounting, like immediate family violence is accounting for about 40% of the the incoming calls that are coming through responding mm. to trying to respond to homelessness. So it's not just people in the street. Um, but there's this amazing um, TED Talk, that I love and it's a book actually by Johan Hari and he's got this book called um, Chasing the Scream and it's about addiction. Mm. You'd probably know it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) And he he always says like the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. And I would say that's what we work on in homelessness as well is that the, the reasons for homelessness, yeah, they're really complex and, yes, they involve a lot of trauma, mm. to be honest. The majority of people that we work with have been through some really significant trauma in their lives. Um, but they don't have those connections that you or I would have. Mm. Like we don't have, you know, I don't, I've got my sister. I could always stay on her couch if something happens or I can go to a mate's house. But the majority of people that we see, they've kind of run out of options. Mm. Like they've exhausted all of that. Mm. All their networks that they do have yeah. are mm. other homeless people. Yeah, not safe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that book, Chasing the Scream. Oh, he particularly so talks good. about one um he talks about one person in particular who's who who he meets, I think in the States, maybe in Brooklyn or something, who is homeless and talks about living on the streets and the function of their life. And I think it would it was like they'd been to prison, then they couldn't access housing, they didn't have an employment history because they'd been in prison for a significant period of time, yeah. living on the streets, not safe, started using because they didn't want to be sleeping on the streets so they were using drugs to try and stay awake. And he just perfectly articulated the snowball effect of how he couldn't connect with people. He didn't yeah. have support networks and he just had no other option. Yeah. Um, so he sort of creates his networks in a, in a less than desirable space. But yeah. then that's his connection. That's where he does feel safe and that's where he does, you know, his bucket does get filled up by the people yeah. around him. And um, sometimes removing people from those networks can be just as detrimental 
Um, yeah. You know, we might think, oh, no, this is a really great thing for this young person or this person that's experiencing homelessness. We're going to put them into this place mm. and it, they're going to have a roof over their head and it's going to be great when really that could actually have some pretty poor negative effects because you might have put yep. them in a house. But what support networks have you put around them and what do they have in place to live prosperously in that accommodation away from their networks? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And that's why I say everyone deserves a home, not just yeah. a house. because. Yeah. You can, you can organise a house for someone, but it, if you don't have those connections, if you don't have that, you know, contact with community and um, engagement with, you know, even having, you know, all sorts of different stuff like education and whatever, mm. it can easily fall apart. And, you know, we do get people come in and, you know, to our work and say, oh, that didn't work for me because they don't have the support as well. So... But yeah, I love, I think Johan Harry just, he does it so well and he goes around. I don't know if you've read the book, Josh, but no. you need to read it. I know, yeah. yeah I so, like so he goes around the world and basically, you know, he's got people who've got um, addiction in his life and he wants to find out why. And he goes around to countries and tries to investigate drug policy in each area of the world and look at the war on drugs. And then he ends up in Portugal where, you know, they've basically decriminalised all sorts of different drugs and they've made it that they still focus on trafficking and you know the big the big guys but you know if you're an everyday user and you've got a habit then they would actually treat you with love and mm. wrap supports around you and they wouldn't punish you and wouldn't incarcerate you they would actually you know do the exact opposite that we probably do right now here and they're just seeing so many benefits to that and their reduction in um their Heroin results have been uses. astronomical. Yeah, it's like halved. Mm. So it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. So you have to read it. It's yeah. really good. I'll bring it in for you. Thank you. I do keep saying that I'll bring it in and then I never do. Yeah. But it I also will. makes me think of that we, we've always joked that we need a book list. Yes. Yep. You know, like somewhere that people can refer to, but yes. um, we do need it right. We'll, we'll commit to the book list. I can do the book list if you want. Yeah. I, I am the book for that. <laughs> It'll probably just be good. you looking on your shelf. On my shelf. Whether it be a digital <laughs> shelf or a... Or a physical shelf. Well, my physical shelf has everything my digital shelf has, so <laughs> yeah. we're all good there. Did um Did you get a chance to watch that show, Filthy Rich and Homeless? I watched the first one. It was really interesting because we kind of we really protect the um you know I guess we call them participants or clients um mm. but we really protect service users um at the place that I work. So we were almost really against it because they tried to contact our work, and we'd had cameramen walk in the door without <laughs> um sort of us being aware that they're coming mm. yeah and we were just really conscious that we're working with really vulnerable people mm. and we we were like i don't know if they know what they're signing up for and so it is interesting watching that series and i recognize some people in it and i just worry about them and their stories in that yeah. but i think the overall um you know, the idea behind it is really good mm. and to draw out empathy where there perhaps wasn't yeah. in the general population mm. um, because it's uncomfortable. You walk past someone in the street who's homeless, it's really uncomfortable feeling. It reminds you of your own privilege and, you know, just how far, you know, we've got this spectrum of, you know, the wealthy and the deserving poor and the undeserving poor and all that sort of stuff. So, mm. Um, yeah, I think it's a good thing overall, those shows. Did you feel like it was accurate for for someone if they, had, if they hadn't had any experience sort of 
in the community services sector and watched it do you feel like they got an accurate point of view yeah i think so um i think sadly over the last few years everything has really probably bottlenecked a bit more so you would probably find that there's less options than there even were when they made those Mm. shows Mm. um you know and sadly we'll start to see a bit more street homelessness now because you know the health response is sort of tying up so Mm. um but yeah i thought it was pretty accurate because we can touch on that because i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth but essentially the um housing sector got given or was provided Mm. with a large amount of funding during COVID 19 which essentially placed probably close to all people seeking Mm -hmm. support into a hotel motel for the past what would it have been six seven months yeah since march so gosh it's nearly nine months Mm. i've got two questions about that one can only have one okay no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) one is do you bloody motorbikes um josh is just jealous that's not his bike out there (laughs) i would die if i owned a motorbike (laughs) At another time, I'll tell you about me riding a scooter in Bali. Yeah, you're the one that told me not to get on the scooters at Bali. Oh, my God. (laughs) Boy. Sorry. Um, Go with the question. So one is, uh, yes, uh, I've been distracted. Um, So there's been a whole bunch of money provided to housing, the housing sector, to put up people up in hotels and motels. So one is, have you seen, I guess, like generally speaking, any positive changes and things like that with any of the people that you've worked with like has that been beneficial that they have had stable housing for a while and then the second part is what is now going to be the uh downfall negative side to that that um finance drying up and um, what i'm guessing is that people are going to have to go back to the street Mm. is that rude to say sorry no no it's a really good question there's and there is there's flip sides i think um one thing that it's done is it's brought everything to the surface so it's actually shone a light on homelessness like we've never had before so we you know services were instructed you need to accommodate everyone so the homelessness and housing sector is exhausted at the moment Mm. they have just been working so hard um you know there's been outreach teams going out trying to get people who there's been people that are really resistant to um people really resistant to like um even going into accommodation because they've you know they've had traumatic events or something and and managing to slowly encourage people you know you can you can have a shower you've got a bed um and being able to actually address some of those needs so being able to address mental health um, we've seen some really positive health outcomes. People are a lot healthier. They're getting meals. Um, but we probably, or well, not we, I think um, homelessness services knew, you know, just how much homelessness was out there. But I don't think government probably did. Mm. And so they kind of, I think there's been an underestimated number. They didn't realise just how many people would end up being accommodated. Mm. Um, is this because you can really get some hard data now? Mm. You're like literally saying we had 50 people coming this week and we've placed 45 people in motels well, or something similar yeah, to that kind of idea? It's bigger than that. You can sure. say we've got 4,000 people sitting in hotels right now. Yeah, right. Mm. So it's been this very obvious thing that every night we're paying, you know, I mean, mm. even 2,000 people in a hotel for a night, even if that's a 
hundred bucks a night and that's cheap these days. That's yeah. Two hundred grand a night. Yeah. Is that right? With yeah, my math? Something. Mm. Is it because we're talking so, dollar figures now, not yeah. numbers, not people's? Unfortunately, yes. And that's what happens a lot mm. of the time. It's expensive. Yeah. Mm. Um and so you've got you know, we had this great response and it was amazing how quick it came out and they called them, um, it was a heart response, which is quite lovely in itself. But it was, um, you know, um, housing emergency accommodation response teams. And so every IAP housing worker in a housing entry point had to pivot and they would become these outreach workers to motels. And so you've got everyone sitting in hotels and they've got an outreach worker. We didn't have enough of them mm. um, and we also probably only had an allocation of about 2,000 people that they could put on these lists. And so then we've got this whole bunch of other people who aren't on that magic list who are now being exited from hotels. Mm. So they're being offered um, other options, um, rooming house or they might be paying until their payday. And then there's other people that they're – they can't engage or they can't get hold of or um and so that's been the big change you know post-covid is before that we would just accommodate everyone it didn't matter whether they were engaging in services or not Mm. didn't matter whether they were turning up to appointments or not didn't matter whether they were damaging rooms or not we would still have to find another room at another hotel and all the services damage bills are huge right now yeah um because it's worked against our normal boundaries with clients as well um so that's going to be interesting unpicking that in the years down the track mm. is like well even something as simple as like i've taken young people to housing services heaps of times mm. and they've been like can't you just get me a fucking hotel for the night or something like that and it's that's not general practice obviously we like to avoid that and there's risks that are yeah surrounding just popping like particularly the young people i work with are all t- under 21 you can't just pop a 16 year old into a hotel but even now having had this offered where everybody got a hotel room now for housing workers to explain that that's not the norm and and re-implement those boundaries is going to be a huge amount of work massive and it's a health response not a housing response yeah so we've had Mm. to do this with the whole community in mind that it's safer for everyone if everyone has a has a bed um and then there's some really interesting stuff happened. So then, like, you've got all these people sitting in hotels. And some I've, and we're also asking a lot of hotel providers too, right? Mm. They're not supported a comm options. Mm. They're normal hoteliers who are used to tourism. <laughs> um, and they're all of a sudden becoming homelessness shelters. So there was behavioural stuff going on. There was lots of aggression, a bit of violence. Um, and so this heart response, it brought in four particular hotels that had a certain number of homeless homeless people in there, um, homeless clients. They were bringing in nurses and security as well and a community worker on reception. So... And hotels that we would talk to, it was really interesting because you've got, they're like, well, we're going to go under. We'll lose our business if we don't say yes to this. So mm. they end up, you know, they're saying yes to be a homelessness response, really. Mm. So it's been huge. And then we got um, further direction that to try and quieten some hotels. There was like, please don't use these ones. We need to sort of calm things down a bit. Um, so those sort of directions. And... So that's been the really tricky stuff. And then the positive things that have come out of it is um, 
from this list, so you've got these people sitting on this heart list, they're now going to be transitioned into another two years of support. So they'll have, um, they're still working out the details now, but I think it's going to be, you know, hotels to homes or something like that. And it'll be, um, they'll get 24 months of case management and they'll get 18 months of the buzzword at the moment is head leasing. Mm. So because we don't have enough housing stock, um, they're going to try and find a private option, so private rental, and the organisation would pay that extra percentage of the um, rent mm. for an 18-month period. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out because the idea is that it'll get people on their feet enough to then be you know, active, engaged members of society and you know not everyone's going to be able to that's not going to work for everybody so but i think it's buying time so Mm. we've had the short-term response this is the medium response and then now governments announced and victorian governments announced it and they didn't have to because um office like the office of housing stuff that's normally federal government you know in terms of housing stock but victorian governments announced that they're going to build 12,000 new homes Mm. so they're kind of trying to look at the long-term stuff as well and that's kind of the first time in a long time that we've seen that like there hasn't been a lot of housing stock put in since probably the 90s and then before that the other big wave was the 70s so now you've got all this housing stock that's like decrepit and you know needs a lot of maintenance and um but yeah so they're trying to fix something that's huge at the moment to fix um but at least it's a start Mm. so stay tuned watch this space see what happens next yeah Mm. i was just gonna say hopefully with you know that amount of new sort of properties to what you you were calling it property stock housing stock yeah no 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 i like that to speak yeah no i like that (laughs) i like that um term um and with the additional fund, I can't remember how much it was. Was it 5.5 something? Yeah, billion. Yeah. Yep. And I was going to say, I don't know why 5.5 stuck in my head, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out mm. and how quickly that can roll out, particularly for this cohort of people that yeah. are living in the hotels, that there, there needs to be sort of a service responsive yeah. reintegration, really. Yeah, mm. definitely. And I think too, it's it just makes good economic sense. Like yeah. you've got people working in construction, you know, you've got, so it's bringing about jobs, um, you know, you're doing something awesome as well. Like you're giving, mm-hmm. giving people a home somewhere that they can, you know, actually thrive in this community. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I've i sort of been, I think for years I've been a bit frustrated by that. I'm like, it just makes good economic sense. It's like, you know, if, even if we're talking about um, looking at decriminalising drugs, it's like... Mm. That sort of stuff, actually, if you break it down to dollars and cents, it makes, makes economic sense. sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's good. It's baby steps, but it's good. Mm. Yeah, building blocks. Sorry, yeah. Joshua, you can say. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, and I don't know about your experience, but mine, mm. uh, we had in, in the team that I work with um, quite a number of young people staying in hotels and motels over the past uh, year pretty much um yeah. but didn't some hotel owners step up or people that work in those places we had some <laughs> legends that we were dealing with yep. they're like yeah no worries we'll print that off for him we'll stick it under his door yeah you know i tried calling him calling case man they were like using lingo like i spoke to his case manager i talked to the housing worker like yep. they were like so great and you know given the circumstances that 
I suppose through the whole COVID pandemic, like there were trying circumstances for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, they were just, yeah, like a lot of the people we dealt with had just stepped up to the to, to yeah. the plate and helped out and were super understanding. And I remember going around doing a few outreach appointments and speaking to like one lady that works at a local motel and she's like, oh, yeah, him. Yeah, no worries. He was here the other day and then this and then that. And I haven't seen him for a while. He's been hanging out with old mate at number two and yeah. like just on track, you know, yeah. like keeping up with the, the goings on. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, super supportive. And I mean, I'm sure they probably had their own share of like troubles, but mm, yeah. like the engagement and stuff with community services, they were, yeah, like the ones we dealt with were awesome, which is yeah. lovely. Um, and like you, maybe because the other option would be to um, run at a loss for a long time and, and not yeah. take anybody in. but And lose yeah. their staff too. Yeah. Mm. Like we talked to, um, we used to talk to like CEOs, I don't know, the equivalent of like big chains who were almost in tears at the start going, oh, I'm going to have to shut down all my hotels and, you know, or let go of all my staff. And so it was a weird kind of, I don't know, we're kind of helping each other out in that way. Like we kept, some hotels going but but at a cost as well like there's some yeah i think it can't have been easy mm. Mm. but yeah we had the same we would have um you know some reception staff they call us and say oh you know i haven't heard from bob for a while i'm getting a bit worried is he is he all right you know yeah. can you let us let him know that we're worried about him you know that sort of stuff yeah. so yeah i just think they went above and beyond mm. and now they and that's the other thing too, like, um, you know, Victoria's opening up again. So we kind of do need to return some of these hotels back to tourism. Um, and that's part of why this response has happened again. So, you know, we do have to acknowledge that homelessness is not always at the fore. It's usually there's another reason why things are happening and, mm. you know, it's not always a popular topic. Um, but yeah, we need these hotels back doing what they normally do business as usual mm. um but it does definitely say i think loud and clear that we don't really have supported options at the at the pointy end mm. so we've got some but probably not enough and well at both ends you know long-term options and crisis options so yeah mm. I think it's also an exciting opportunity. Like you said before, I don't think the government realised mm. the extent um, that of, of homelessness or people experiencing homelessness. And, you know, the pandemic was shit for everybody. And I'm sure there's, you know, there's thousands of stories of people who have suffered and things that have gone wrong. But mm. maybe a positive out of that is that it's not out of sight out and out of mind anymore and you have to look yeah. at it. And it's very easy to not look somebody in the eye when they're experiencing pain or to try and, you know, turn our head the other way because it's not something that we can sit with because mm. it is uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so I think it's sh it's shone a light on a much needed area and mm. hopefully change does implement from here because I just, like, it's, it's really, it's a really sort of shitty space to sit in, even as say an AOD clinician, for me mm. to even work with a young person on their AOD concerns or their mental health concerns, but they don't have stable housing, a safe place to live, safe people or safe networks, you're just not going to achieve anything. Yeah. You, ne mm. you need to be filling their cup from a number of different sort of fountains. And mm. I think housing is a huge, huge step um, mm. in in anyone's treatment or anybody's sort of progression is to have a safe roof over your head. And, you know, I think 
the amount of times you hear people say, yeah, but you get to go home at the end of the day. And, and it's like, yeah, I do get to go home at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm sure that there's thousands of workers if we had, you know, investment properties, I'd want to give them yep. to people that they don't want them on the street. But, you know, the reality is, is the people that make the change is government and we need them to be aware of it and to implement some change. And, mm. you know, the 5.5 billion is great. Mm. But where's our roadmap for more, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> and it just made me yeah. remember that uh, Aaron Wood who was the deputy mayor of Melbourne, mm. was on the Filthy Rich and Homeless show yes. and clearly had an effect on him because he he's, um, don't have any evidence to back it up off the top of my head, but I follow him on social media and he's made a number of sort of statements about yep. um, homelessness and, mm. and the crisis and kind of calling. I guess I don't know how the, where the mayor position sits in politics, mm. but I guess he's in a position that he can kind of poke the government to kind of make some changes because he's mm. I don't yeah he, he's not a politician in the sense that he's in a political party I don't believe it's I like a believe. civic role yeah. yeah so he can kind of just I don't know I'm, ter- I'm probably butchering what he does but like I feel <laughs> like he can kind of say what he wants you know appropriately hmm. so well, he's I, a voice for the people really yeah, yeah. right yeah yeah in, in his area Melbourne yeah. like in the city of Melbourne yeah, yeah. Mm. so that's I think great that someone that not only is a public figure like Dr. Uh, Andrew Rochford, who's on like, you know, Sunrise and stuff, like he's <laughs> yeah. been on like pretty commercial TV and things, which is great. That he just reminds me of Dr. Chris Brown. Yeah, 100%. I get them confused. Yeah, they're both handsome, all the time. both doctors. One's a doctor for animals, <laughs> not to take anything away from him though. Um, I think it would be yeah. harder to be a vet, if I'm honest. Yeah, well, the patients can't yeah. talk to you and tell you what's wrong, right? Also, you need to know a number of different anatomies, not just the human anatomy. Hmm. Yeah. Good point. Um, but anyway, Mike. Um, Sorry. No, no. no. <laughs> we digress. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you mentioned sort of through the start of the podcast that you mm. often, you know, you move around, you travel, yep. you kind of don't sit still very long. Mm. You've kind of been forced to sit still for a while now. So yes. what, what's next for you? Do you think you'll continue to battle sort of the homelessness sector for a while or I think, will you look at something else? Oh, look, there's a little bit in me left. Um, <laughs> and I think I just find... I still have a giggle to myself because I've like moved over sort of north to be closer to my sister and she's just had a baby and um, yeah, so good. My nephew is the coolest new person I've ever met. And um, yeah, and so it was already sort of my year for sitting still. I'm like, I'm just going to be close to them. I'm going to, you know, just try and stay still for a little bit. And I'm like, my gosh, I didn't mean this. (laughs) Um, that it was even to the point where, you know, when we had that, um, the 5k zone, mm. her house just happened to be on the right side of that. Like That's it was fantastic. actually amazing. Mm. So I think there's a bit of family focus hanging out with them. They've gone to New Zealand, so they're coming back at Christmas and then I'll get to hang out with them again. Yay. Yep. So, um, and then, yeah, I don't know. I think it's been an awesome year for just reflecting and, you know, are you doing the right things and are you in the right space? And, yeah, I think, you know, for me personally, I've had huge growth this year, but I've still sat still to do it. Um, but, yeah, I'll do a bit of local travel for now, wait a while, wait and see, and then, I don't know, I've always wanted to go to Jordan, like Petra. Wow. And that's always been on my bucket list. And I got a bit sad this year when I realised how long it might be before I get to go and see that place. 
but yeah so there's a few there's definitely lots of places left to see um i'm trying to think where else i still haven't seen like africa Mm. i'd love to go there my sister and my brother-in-law went and they went and traveled around africa in a hilux for like a year yeah with a tent on the roof that's cool so cool and they he's really into football soccer and he's northern irish and so they found a place that made like soccer balls and dropped them off to kids all around (gasps) africa oh gosh and they called it um what did they call it balls for africa i think but yeah it was unreal so they sort of had this like travel story with with a purpose that's awesome so yeah i really want to go to is it giraffe manor oh yes and you're in this fancy building yes but it's a giraffe sanctuary. And they just oh. pop their heads in. You'll be eating breakfast. And they just like oh, pop man. their heads mm. through and like eat your breakfast. Yeah. My friend went when we were in school and I literally, anytime someone said that, I'm not going to go to Giraffe Manor. Yeah. That's cool. It's so Unreal. cool. I'm going to find you a picture of a giraffe head through a window. It's I exactly as you it. imagine it. I can, I think. But, you, but you can't appreciate it until okay. you see the picture. Trust me. <laughs> I don't know. Where would you guys both go? Oh, oh. Japan's next for me. Nice. Yeah. yeah, we were just talking about this before. We were, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some we've got some flights that have been paid for and, and some accommodation that's paid for in Bali because we're meant to go in June. Yeah. Mm. So we'll probably have to get that back. For, I'll not get it back. We'll, we'll do that first. Awesome. Um, well, if it's ready to go, you know, yeah. like we hope that Bali gets back on its feet. Well, we hope that most places get back on their feet. Yeah. But that's obviously a place that's, um, I would say, like 98%. Oh, that is. That's, yeah, it's very cute. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, as we know, Bali is probably 95% tourism, yeah. um, you know, um, funded. So yeah. wait and see. But um, oh, yeah, I really want to go to Japan as well. So that would be cool. Mm. Have you been to the Gili Islands? No. Oh, my god. Yeah, I've They're heard. stunning. Yeah. And you actually can't – there's no cars. Mm. So it's, Everyone's on the push bikes, right? Yeah. And is that the one with the bikes. cats everywhere? Yeah. Yeah. And there's – like you just get a bicycle and ride around the whole island. So – yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Definitely do the gillies if you can. Yeah. yeah. We have the opportunity now to replan our trip mm. given oh, the yes. circumstances. So. Yeah, it's exciting. Mm. I do wonder when we'll be allowed to travel. Mm. Yeah. We live in a blighty big country, so there is plenty to see here. Doing it's Definitely. a different thing logistically and, you know, it's not as cheap as getting around Bali, but it's pretty cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah. This is true. Also, I'd have to drive for like. 17 days to get somewhere cool (laughs) that's not true (laughs) maybe a slight exaggeration yeah but only slight unlike me yeah um we (laughs) i meant unlike me because i always make like really large exaggerations anyway we always finish every podcast with a surprise question i've got the giggles now um (laughs) we uh, pff, absolute brain fade. <laughs> if Sorry. you had. If you had yes. any words of wisdom for either new workers or people maybe changing career paths or whatever it might be in the sector, what would, what would your words of wisdom be? Um, a piece of advice. Trust your gut, I think. Trust your instincts. Learn to listen to them. Um, it's so important in any work that you do, I think. Um, you know, even now I've just had quite a few new workers come through and, you know, I think 
often as a new worker, it's really difficult to sort of challenge anyone who's got a lot more experience than you or, um, but I think, you know, being brave enough to say, actually, I've got a feeling about this or, you know, that's the stuff that you have, it takes a while to learn, but it's so important. Um, and it's often that stuff you just can't put your finger on that mm. you've got to investigate a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that would probably be my thing. And yeah, the self-care, like we bang on about it, yeah. but how many of us actually do it properly um, and set your boundaries early. Like, yeah. you know, I'm terrible at the eating at my desk thing mm. and it's because I've been doing it for so long. And it's one thing I'm like, I'm trying really hard to get out of it now. But I think we, you know, I had a situation where we were so short-staffed that I just started doing that and just motor through. But if you can set your boundaries early, do it. Don't do as I do, you know, get it right, right off the bat. Because I don't think we, I think we all care so much about the people that we work with that we've got to look after ourselves as well. Mm. I don't know if you guys have heard the, um, like the oxygen mask analogy. It's like if you're in a plane, like an aeroplane, I can't remember when I was last on an aeroplane now. But um, it's sad. <laughs> it is sad. But they will always ask you to put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on someone else. And even if you've got kids, even if you've got a toddler there, like you still have to put it on yourself first. So mm. I'd say that's what I would say. Just you've got to look after yourself or you're no good to anyone else. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I t- totally agree. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It was awesome to catch up, catch up with you over a podcast. Yeah, yeah it was great. It was really cool. Thank you for yeah. sharing everything. And um, yeah, it'd be cool to kind of um, have had this conversation and, and kind of watching the homelessness space change mm. now, hopefully, and mm. can kind of follow along. And um, I think thank you for giving a lot of uh, context to the job that you do and the, um, mm. the challenges that people face. Um, on a daily basis yeah yeah no thank you so much for having me (laughs) thanks for listening to another episode of knowledge on tick please like and share the podcast invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered take care and enjoy your week